0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned, at the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter seven. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. A
1: group of a hundred Roman soldiers A hundred Roman soldiers is called a band, a band of soldiers. A group of a hundred Roman soldiers had been drawn together in a special bond of closeness because of their experience in battle. Among them, are you listening, were 40 Christians. One day, the emperor called for a test of loyalty, demanding that every member of the army bow down before his statue or die. As each of the 40 believers passed before the image, they refused to worship it. One by one, they declared, I'm a Christian, and every one of them was sentenced to death. The legion commander respected these men and was heartsick as he marched them into the ice where they were left to die from exposure to bitter, bitter cold. As they went out into the darkness, they were chanting, 40 wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, claim for thee the victory, and for thee the crown, over and over they chanted, Forty wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, claim for thee the victory, and for thee the crown. Well the commander waited throughout the night on the shore near a fire, hoping some would change their minds and obey the imperial decree. Finally he saw a solitary figure groping his way toward the fire to bow down before the statute, but no one else appeared. The centurion was so moved by the steadfastness of the 39 remaining men that he had dropped his armor, ran out and joined the 39 dying men on the ice. In a few moments, the cry again was heard echoing across the ice. Forty wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, claim for thee the victory and for thee the crown. Isn't that a great story? That's a great story. And this morning, we come to another great story of a man of great faith. This man was a Roman centurion. And today, I want to give you four powerful, poignant points. How you like all those peas? I worked on that real hard, y'all. Powerful, poignant points and characteristics of this centurion In in this sermon that I've titled, When Death Meets Life, Part 1. We'll talk about When Death Meets Life, Part 2 next week. So if you're taking notes, you got your pen, you got your pad. We're going to work from this outline today. Four characteristics of this Roman centurion. Number one, if you're tracking with me, the centurion was a powerful man. A powerful man. We'll find that in verses one and two. Secondly, the centurion was a compassionate man. We'll find that in verses three through five. Thirdly, the centurion was a humble man. We'll find that in verses six through eight. And then lastly, he was an incredible man of faith. We'll find that in verses nine and 10. Four characteristics of this Roman centurion The centurion was a powerful man, verses one and two, a compassionate man, verses three through five, a humble man, verses six through eight, and an incredible man of faith in verses seven, or pardon me, nine through 10, when death meets life. Chapter seven in the gospel of Luke, if you're looking at verse one, if you're looking at it, say Amen. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered what city saints Capernaum. Capernaum. Very good. And a certain centurion servant who was near to him was sick and ready. Dr. Luke tells us to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus in verse 4 they begged him earnestly saying that the one for whom he should do this miracle was deserving some of your Bible say worthy for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue and then Jesus went with them and when he was already not far from the house the centurion sent friends to him saying to him Lord Do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I do not even think myself worthy to come to you. But in verse seven, would you please underline this? But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also in verse eight, would you circle the word also? I also Am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Will you please underline that? He marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house... Did you get this? They found the servant. Well, who had been sick. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. Just by show of hands. Were you here with me a few weeks back when we were in chapter six in chapter six, a few weeks back? Okay, good. That's a good number of you and a good number of you were not in chapter six. We were talking about the fame of Jesus. And how the fame of Jesus had been spreading, spreading so much so that there was a diverse crowd of people following Jesus. There were sick people following him, lepers following him, people filled with demons following him, Pharisees, Sadducees, Romans, Gentiles, people who love him, people who hated him. People who were curious about him, people who were convinced by him, people we talked about who were committed to him. All of these people are following Jesus. And so Jesus pulled away from the crowd to ask the father who he should pick for the 12. The father, remember in chapter six, the father gave Jesus the starting lineup of the 12 disciples. I'm sure that when Jesus read the list of the names of the men of the starting lineup, he probably went back into prayer and said, father, are you sure? I see Peter's name on here. I don't know if this is cool or not. He gave him a list of names of the 12 disciples. And then Jesus began to teach, were you with me, what sounded like the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 talking to us about Christian behavior. And he told us that we are to love our enemies and that we are to bless those who curse you and that if someone slaps you, slap them back. I bet y'all wish he said that, don't you? (laughs) Y'all like, I wish he'd have said that. He didn't say that, and you know he didn't say that. He said, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, then you turn, what, the other cheek. You know that we were talking about kingdom living. Now here in chapter seven in verse one, when he concluded all of these sayings, he entered Capernaum. And a servant of a centurion was sick and ready to die. And so when the centurion heard that Jesus was in town, He sent Jewish elders to ask Jesus to heal his his servant. Point number one in our outline, the centurion was a powerful man. Now, let me just tell you, give me your attention, saints. Let me just tell you a little bit about Roman centurions. In the first century, Roman centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. Roman centurions were uh, men of integrity. In the first century, the Roman army, they had a chain of command, just like in the military today, we have a chain of command. They had a chain of command in the Roman army. They had rank and they had order. And in the Roman army, there was a group of men called a, um, called, called a legion. And, and a legion of men made up 6,000 soldiers. Doesn't that make you think of when Jesus was talking to the man filled with demons and he said, what is your name? And the demon said, what? Legion, for I am many. What he was telling Jesus, are you listening? I have six thousand demons in me. Interesting. Somebody asked me yesterday, I was out and about. And somebody asked me yesterday, they said, do you believe in Demons, and the reason they were asking me because they were watching—I don't know—MSNBC or one of them shows or whatever—and they were showing this church that was talking about demons and casting out demons and snake handling and stuff like that. And I told them, I said, "Well, look, let's listen to me. Just to be clear about something." I said, "Yes, I do believe in demons, although I'm not into snakes." I said, "I don't got no use for snakes." Maybe as a belt. (laughs) Amen. A wallet. Maybe not too gaudy, but a pair of shoes. But other than that, say amen, saints. You know that's right. I don't got no, I'm not into that. What in the world? I ain't handling no snakes. You know what? No, I'm not trying to test nor tempt God. You shouldn't do that. People be like, I got the spirit of God in me. I can take up snakes. Go right ahead. Pastor Roddy you got to go home. Okay, I ain't messing with no snakes. So a legion had 6,000 soldiers. Then in the Roman army, they had a group of men called a cohort. Taking notes, C-O-H-O-R-T, a cohort. And a cohort made up 600 men. Don't you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying? It was Judas who led a cohort to Jesus and kiss Jesus on the cheek to identify him. 600 men came to take Jesus, which today I've been teaching the Bible almost 20 years. I'm still perplexed by that. Why would 600 men come to get one man? Not unless they knew that that one man had great power. The centurion, we know that. I'm getting ahead of myself. He knew he had great power. He said, speak the word, my servant shall be healed. I think those 600 men, when they came to get Jesus, they probably were knocking in their armor. They probably walking up, all right, Jesus, we've come to get you now. Cooperate. Please co- please cooperate. May we have your hands. A cohort made up 600 men. And then you had, as I already told you, a band of men. So we have a legion, 6,000, a cohort, 600, and a band of men made up 100 men led by a Roman centurion. The centurion was in charge of a 100 men. We have the word century. 100. Made up, he was overseeing in charge of 100 men. Now, a centurion, get this, a centurion was like a non commissioned officer. A centurion was like, uh, if you've been in the Navy, you know what an ensign is. He's kind of, he's an officer at the lowest rank or um, more like a warrant officer in the Navy, more like a warrant, coming from the enlisted rank. Am I right about that? Anybody in the Navy? Am I right about that? Somebody, am I right? Okay, good, yeah, that's right. I knew I was right. I'm just trying to make sure you're listening. And uh, <laughs> they come out of the enlisted ranks coming into the officer ranks. That was more like um, in the Army, you would call them, what y'all call them in the Army? War, warrant officer as well? A warrant officer as well? Same thing? Wow. Man, I'm starting to, Feel feel like I like the army a little bit now. And uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. So it, coming out of the en, in enlisted ranks, coming up into the officer ranks, that was more like um, um, a centurion. And which tells me that probably the men, the hundred men that were under him, they probably really loved him, really respected him. Because just like today, um, if you have a person who is an officer, but he was prior enlisted. And those of you that have been in the military, you know this. There's a greater respect for that officer who was prior enlisted from the enlisted people. Because they know that he knows where they are and he's been where they are. And, and he's and, and an officer who was prior enlisted. He was just cooler. I don't really know like a theological word for that, but he was just I was trying to find a better theological word, but he was just cooler. I mean, he was just cool. So this centurion, I believe the men had that kind of respect for him. Centurions were men of quality. They were men of high caliber. They were men of strength. They were men of integrity. You might remember Jesus was on the cross. Remember the weather changed and the sun darkened and there there was an earthquake and there was a centurion standing there that said, truly, this is the what? Son of God. That was a centurion. So the centurion, number one, in our outline was a powerful man. Number two, this centurion was a compassionate man. If you peruse verse three through five, this centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders to ask him to come to heal his servant. Now, I think that's pretty interesting because remember, saints, listen, this centurion was a Roman Gentile. And you know, Calvary Chapel people, I've told you many times, Jews hated Gentiles Jews did not get along with Gentiles Jewish people felt watch this Jewish people felt that the only reason the Gentile existed was to be fodder for the flames of hell Jewish people were very racist during this time and they felt that a Gentile if you were a Gentile that'd be you and me if you were a Gentile then your whole purpose and sole purpose in life was to be starter logs for the flames of hell. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone thought that the only thing I was good for was starter logs to make hell hotter, I don't think that we would be BFF. (laughs) That's that's text language for some of y'all don't know for best friends forever. I don't think so. So at this time, listen, I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. At this time, all of Rome in general had a bad attitude toward Judea. So if you were in the Roman military, you got your orders and your duty station was in Judea. That was bad duty because the tension, there was so much tension between Jews and and Romans or Jews and Gentiles. And by the way, that's why they, when they took Jesus, get this, when they took Jesus, that is why they beat him so unmercifully. Because. Not because the, listen, Rome did not beat. are you listening? Rome did not beat and torture Jesus because he claimed to be the son of God. They did not care about that. They could care less about that. That was an issue for the Jewish people. Are you following me? The Romans beat Jesus horribly, terribly beat Jesus because he was a Jew and they hated Jews. And so when they took Jesus, they blindfolded him and they punched him, which is the worst thing you can do because when you can't see a punch coming, it's more damage. They probably broke. Isaiah said that he had no form. Isaiah 53, he had no form, nor comeliness that we should desire him, that look upon him. When they punched Jesus and he's blindfolded, they probably broke every bone in his face. Because you know that when you see an accident happening or maybe you step, you know, you're in a car and you see a car accident, and you, uh, an accident about to happen, and a car is coming towards you and you know you're gonna hit that car, your body automatically braces itself for that, for that crash. Ergonomically, you automatically kind of cramp down in your body and brace yourself and thus, prayerfully, there'll be less damage. But if you cannot see, a punch coming or an accident about to happen, great damage is done. I'm trying to help you to understand what Jesus went through for you and for me. When they blindfolded him, they punched him and he didn't see it coming probably broke every bone in his face. They spit on him. They pulled out his beard. They whipped him without mercy and they loved doing it because he was a Jew. But notice this Roman centurion was no ordinary Roman centurion because when he heard about Jesus, he sent Jewish elders to ask Jesus to heal his servant. He wasn't ordinary because he cared. And he was compassionate toward this sick Roman Gentile servant. He also cared about the nation of Israel. And he went so far, the Bible tells us, as to build them a synagogue. Go ahead and look in your Bibles in verse 4. They begged Jesus to do this miracle for this man because he was deserving. Some of your Bibles, if your Bible says because he was worthy, would you raise your hand just so I can see? Okay, good. So some of your Bibles you can see, it says because he was worthy. So yesterday, I'm at church, I study here, and... I began to do a study on this word worthy. What does this word worthy mean? You're taking notes. This is what it means. The word worthy means to be weighed, like going to a marketplace and weighing something and it balances out on the scale. It's almost like we would today go over to Harris Teeter, buy some fruits and vegetables, take it to the cashier. They would weigh it and then say, well, you owe me this much money or it costs this much money. Well, in the first century, they would weigh it and then say this. Your item is worthy of one denarii. It's it's how much you weigh. So this guy, what they're saying is Jesus is saying this guy. They said, Jesus, this guy is worthy. In other words, watch this. His words weigh as much as his talk. That's what they're saying. Now, that's a huge compliment coming from Jews about a Gentile. Are you with me? His words weigh as much as his talk. So I told them first, second, I tell you now. I read this, and I felt honestly like I was hit with a ton of bricks yesterday. You know, when I study, uh, you have to understand that any senior pastor, doesn't matter this church, any church, any senior pastor, We don't have the opportunity to sit in the audience and to hear a sermon and to get fed the word of God. So when I'm studying the word of God, that's God feeding me. I get fed from the Lord. And thus, when God feeds me, then I come here on Sunday morning and give you what God has given me. I can't give you something that I don't already have. So I'm sitting in my office And I thought to myself, do my words weigh as much as my talk? In other words, I'm talking about the fact that I'm a Christian. I'm talking about the fact that I love God. If if I say I'm a Christian, do I act like a Christian? If I never told someone I was a Christian, would they know I was a Christian? Because they look at my life and they weigh my life and they weigh my words on a scale and it balances out are you with me if you are say amen and is that is that true of you can you say that that my words weigh as much as my talk too often our words and our talk uh, don't don't weigh the same and our lives don't weigh the same we say one thing but we live a different way if people just looked at you and you never told them you were a christian would they know you're a Christian because of the way you act because of what you say or maybe what you don't say or because of where you go or maybe where you don't go. But people be able to just look at your life and say so, they may not be able to say, Oh, you must be a Christian. You must be a follower of Jesus. They may not be able to say that, but would they say, Hey, you're different. You're not like us. Well, how come you never go to happy hour with us at the church? That would be the time for you to say, because happy hour ain't happy. Somebody say amen. I ain't never seen nobody at happy hour happy. Everybody at happy hour sad. They should call it sad hour. Well, why do you call it happy hour? I'm sorry. It's just a thought. But our words, do they weigh the same? Is there as much weight behind the man as there is verbiage? Well, point number three, we got to move on, running out of time. The centurion was a humble man. Saints, go ahead and peruse verse six through eight. He was a humble man. They come to Jesus pleading for him to come and heal the servant. And Jesus goes with them. He was not far from the house. And the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. And verse seven, are you looking at it? I am not even worthy to come into your presence, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. If you're taking notes, saints, listen, we've got three opinions here of this centurion. First of all, we have the Jewish elders' opinion of him, they say he's worthy. And then we have the opinion that he says of himself as he says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house or for me to even come to you. And then, I'm getting ahead of myself, we just read it actually, in verse 9, we have Jesus' opinion of the Roman centurion. As Jesus said, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Now notice in verse 8 in your Bibles, because I believe, and I had you circle the word also, I believe that verse 8 is the key as to why this is such an awesome story, and why Jesus marveled at this man's faith. Notice verse eight. Go ahead. And look at it in your Bibles. I want you to look at it. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one go and he goes into another. Come and he comes. He says, Jesus, all you have to do is say a word because I understand authority. Did you get that?
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923.